Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the 80s, A Decade of Crime. I'm your host, Luke Pacheco. Today, we're going to be covering the story of Carol M. Bundy. Now, the story is freaking wild. It just happened right down the street on the Sunset Strip. That's why they're called Sunset Strip Killers. Because if you can, if you know that story, then you can guess who else is also in the story. I titled it on my thing here, what I wrote. I said, Carol Bundy and her unfortunate series of men. Which is really what it is. They should, that's what, they should make a TV show based on this. Speaking of, there are a lot of TV shows about the Carol Bundy and Douglas Clark, if you guys want to check those out. But what we're going to do is we're going to give a fairly fast, quick overview of everything that went down in Miss Carol's life. So let's start at the beginning. 1942, Carol was born to Charles and Gladys. Now they worked in the entertainment industry here in L.A. And Carol's older brother, Gene, had already some moderate fame as a child actor. Now Carol was born, she was her mother, Gladys's bright new star. She envisioned a future life of fame and fortune and all that good stuff although it really didn't go as planned carol's still famous but not how i think her mother wanted her to be anyway things kind of spiraled out of control so when carol was three her sister vicky was born and vicky became kind of the new star child and things went downhill from carol after that carol suffered from really bad vision at an early age and she had to endure constant ridicule in school over her coke bottle glasses i know the feeling i had the same glasses now i wear contacts it's way better now was a, even more of a decline from there carol after school just runs straight home she immersed herself in her own little world of sci-fi and she just became an introvert at one point carol came home one time and she was locked out of her own house and her mother pretended to be someone else saying that her parents moved away and that carol didn't live there anymore Obviously, Gladys, her mother, was disappointed in Carol because she wasn't going to be a super bright star. And, you know, their starlit Hollywood parents were now turned into burnt-out alcoholics. Now, when Carol was 13 and Vicky was only 11, her mother died. Their older brother, Gene, ended up taking off. He fled this abusive family. And shortly after, their father, Charles, decided proceeded to rape and abuse his children for years. At some point, Carol and Vicky ended up eventually in foster care, but and they ended up with an uncle uh, in Indiana. Now, unfortunately, that didn't last super long because Charles decided to make the trip from California to Indiana to get his daughters back. Carol was then 17 at the, at the time, and she just decided to run away for good after she ran away she met a 56 year old man named leonard who was also a drunk and couldn't keep a job and abused her as well so just like her dad that's who she married so carol took off again it wasn't after a long string of terrible relationships she ended up meeting the one good dude in the story named richard geis now this is when things were maybe going to take a turn around richard was a writer and he inspired and helped Carol uh, begin writing herself. She even wrote and published a one issue of a sci-fi magazine. Now later on, Carol took a hit. News came in that her father, Charles, had committed suicide, and all her childhood feelings of being not good enough and terrible put her on a downward spiral. At this time, Carol went through many affairs, and Richard actually kind of stuck around, and they didn't work out as a couple, but they remained friends. Richard 
seeing that Carol needed help, he ended up putting her through nursing school because Carol at this point ran away, had no sort of education and could get a good job. So this actually kind of put Carol on a good path forward. She was a nurse and there she met Grant Bundy who also worked in the healthcare industry and they got along super well. They had two kids together, things were looking good. Although during Carol's two pregnancies, her physical health took a major hit. She was diagnosed with diabetes and her already bad vision got worse to the point where she was on the verge of being almost completely blind. So she was almost completely blind. Eventually she was not able to work. So all the pressure of the family and the two kids, it all fell on Grant. And this weight just crushed him emotionally and he began to drink and became abusive. So this time, once again, decided to take off. And this is where she then met Jack Murray and his wife, Janet, who, who managed an apartment complex of Valerio Gardens. Now he helped out Carol and got her apartment for her and two sons. But let's pause on Carol real quick and talk about Jack. Because this guy was pretty crazy. He, Mr. Jack Murray, was a singer at this bar called Little Nashville. And he was the man who could charm the pants off a girl. Despite being married to Janet, he participated in a bunch of sadistic affairs. And things got abusive more often times than not. He never killed anybody or anything like that. But he was, you know, a pretty intense guy. He had a bunch of crazy different stories saying that he was a war hero or a CIA operative. He even said since he was a singer that he wrote most of the top 40 songs at the time. So this was his, the lines of his, you know, to sweep women off their feet. Now, Carol was now in his eyesights and she was needy, she was blind and Jack ended up getting her the apartment with her two sons. He actually even made her get on disability, saying she, she was legally blind. So she was getting paychecks every month. Carol was working at the apartment building, cleaning stuff, stuff like that. Eventually, Carol ended up getting cataract surgery, and it cleared up her vision a lot. She still had Coke bottle glasses, but she could actually see, and she wasn't completely blind anymore. Now, through Jack's and Carol's affair, there was plenty of sex. There was cons. He tried to take a lot of her money. Her dad, when he committed suicide, he left her money. He told Carol that his wife, Janet, had cancer. He took like $15,000 from her for that. And eventually, after all this, Carol and Janet were hanging out, and Janet learns of the truth of what was going on. And Janet was like, whoa. Carol offered Janet actually $1,500, which back in the 80s, I guess, is a little more than it is now, to leave her husband, Jack. She's like, hey, your husband's crazy. You know he did all this to me. He stole all my money. Janet was just like, you know what? You need to leave. You need to take your kids and get out of the building. So she kicked her, not just out of her apartment, but out of the building. So Jack, once again, helps Carol find a new apartment building. He takes her within arm's reach. It's far enough away from his wife, but, you know, close enough that if he's driving by, he can hit her up for late late night booty call. So he set her up with a place off of Sunset, and this is where she met Douglas Clark. Guys, Carol's luck with men is just the absolute worst thing on the planet. All right, so now, after all that backstory, she has finally met Douglas Clark. She's up to this point. It is now 1980, and Carol and Doug begin their more twisted affair. But first, let's talk about a couple of people. 
It is the summer of 1980 on the Sunset Strip. It is sweltering heat that's just driving everybody crazy. That's what I read. It was super hot back in the summer of 1980, so things were pretty wild. Now, clubs, bars, parties in the hills, you know, Hollywood at this time was in super full swing. This is when enter Gina Morano and Cynthia Chandler. These two young stepsisters were ready to conquer the world together. Gina's and Cynthia's parents, they just got married. Gina's father and Cynthia's mother all moved to Huntington Beach to just be one big happy family. Now these inseparable stepsisters decided to hitchhike up to LA and make it on their way on their own. Now at this time, Gina was only 15 and Cynthia was 16. You know, hitchhiking back in those days was like the modern day Uber, but just way more dangerous. But the girls were smart and they're also lucky. They stuck to busy roads and they were had their strength in numbers as the pair. No one really kind of messed with them, but plenty of people were saying that you should probably shouldn't do this so much. Give them a lot of warnings, as everyone would say to some young hitchhikers. But they were lucky. They actually ended up getting an apartment. They got a job at a Taco Bell. Hell yeah. And one night, while perusing the strip, they actually got picked up by a handsome chauffeur in a stretch limo, and they were taken to the swanky house party in Beverly Hills. So the sister's luck seemed to continue. Now at this party, they met Mindy Cohen, who was 19, and her boyfriend, Mark Gottman, who was 38. Now these two were quickly drawn to the two young, beautiful girls who were making their own way Cindy bonded with them that night and said that they, if they needed anything, just to contact them. Mark was this, you know, he was a wealthy lawyer who had the house in the hills, you know, he had the parties and he had all the local connections with celebrities and important people. So Gina and Cynthia, they were having a great time. They were meeting all the right people at this point. They were about to take Hollywood by storm. Let's back it up. Douglas Clark and Carol go back to their affair. Now Douglas Clark was immediately attached himself to Carol. He even moved in to her apartment. Uh, I think Doug was going through a divorce at the time. Don't quote me on that. I think I read that. Now, because of Carol's crazy sexual history with a multitude of people and crazy fantasies with Jack and stuff like that, Doug found out that he found someone that was willing to indulge him in his deepest sexual fantasies. After their affair started, Doug began bringing sex workers, prostitutes, women, all the time back to their apartment. They were engaging in threesomes. Doug would make Carol take pictures of him having sex with other women. And then this quickly escalated to the women getting younger and younger and younger. So it went to Doug's fantasies quickly escalated to pedophilia. A girl, unfortunately, as young as 11, was actually lured into their apartment by Carol and pornographic pictures were taken of her. Doug, this guy, he did not want to stop there. Doug had this deep sexual urge to kill a woman or women. And it, it was this weird sexual thing that he had going on. And he even made Carol go out and purchase two handguns for him. Now, later on, a couple days later, on the night of June 11th, Mr. Doug, he went for a drive and who did he find but two nice hitchhikers in need? You guys know who I'm talking about. June 12th, 1980. Gina and Cynthia's bodies were discovered dumped off the road by the Forest Lawn Cemetery. Their clothes were half off. They were shot in the head. They were raped. 
it was a brutal scene. This guy, uh, a city worker who was cleaning up the highway that day, found their bodies. I mean, talk about a bad day at work. I would freak out if that too happened. Now, Gina and Cynthia were just Douglas Clark's, only his first two victims. Things escalated from here. Doug came home, bragged to Carol about what happened after killing these two people. And shortly later, only a couple, it was like two weeks later, he killed two more girls. This time, Karen Jones and Exie Wilson were prostitutes. He once again lured them into his car, sexually assaulted them, shot them in the head, and then dumped their bodies off the side of the road in just plain sight for everybody to see, for some other worker to come and find them. This time, though, he didn't stop there by just dumping their bodies off. He decided to up his game from pedophilia to necrophilia. But before he left after that, not stopping at necrophilia, he decapitated one of his victims. It was Wilson. He chopped off her head and he took it home with him as a trophy. When he got home, he put it in the fridge. He made Carol put makeup on the severed head. And later, the two and Doug himself engaged in some more necrophilia with the head. It's sick. Absolutely sick. A couple days later, he put it in a box and he dumped it in the trash can, which police later found. After this, there's two more people that were found. Quick note. There was a unidentified person. She was Jane Doe. She was shot and just left behind a building. And there was one other girl. Her name was Marnette Comer. She was 17 years old who was shot in the head, just like all the other victims, and left for dead. These two women were believed to be Carol's victims at the time. Now, Carol, dealing with all of Doug's crazy antics, was really getting pushed over the line here. There was one night where she went to Little Nashville and she was hanging out with her old lover, Jack Murray. And Carol had one too many drinks and she began to get some things off her chest. She started to tell Jack of their crazy escapades of what they were doing. Now, initially, it wasn't anything that Jack kind of couldn't handle. But the more she told, the more Jack worried. Eventually, Jack said to Carol that he was thinking of tipping off the police. Carol realized she's like i have told jack way too much and later that night carol lured jack into his van that's where she proceeded to seduce him she shot him in the head she stabbed him nine times she slashed his buttocks and i read somewhere that she she actually took she cut off a piece of his butt and took it home with her and she also, because she shot him in the head, she didn't want to leave any evidence behind of the bullet. So she tried to cut the bullet out of his head. So this body was just completely mutilated. It was excruciatingly brutal. I would not want to see the back of that van. It's absolutely terrible. So a couple days later, someone did find the van. Police found it. And there was plenty of evidence still left. And at this point, Carol, I guess, was at work that day. And she learned that they found the body of Jack. And she had this huge breakdown and she was sobbing and freaking out. And I guess I found this quote. She said she was a nurse. Remember, it was, quote, I can't take it anymore. I'm supposed to save lives, not take them, end quote. Her coworkers were like, um, what? What did you just say? Uh, not take lives? So her coworkers obviously tipped it off to the police. They said what was going on. The police went to her apartment. And they found everything they needed at their apartment. Doug kept panties as trophies. 
which is absolutely disgusting. They found the two handguns. They matched ballistics. They had all the evidence that they needed. Now, they were arrested, and when they went to trial, Doug was rattled off a bunch of stuff, basically convinced the jury himself. He was like, oh, this should be like the death sentence. I don't think he wanted to rot the rest of his life in prison. So, Doug was sentenced to death. And Carol got two consecutive uh, sentences, pretty much life. There were 27 to life, and one was 25 to life. And so this whole string of horrific people was her culmination there, ended up in prison. And in 2003, Carol died of prison of heart failure. Thank you so much for listening, guys, to this crazy and brutal episode of 80s, A Decade of Crime. Subscribe wherever you're listening to our podcast. If you're on Instagram, you can follow us at 80s Crime Podcast for updates and images about the cases that we're covering. And for a list of all the sources we used for this episode, you can go check out our show notes wherever you guys tuned in. I'm your host, Luke Pacheco. This episode was written and recorded by myself, Soraya Hendry, did the editing and produced 80s Decade of Crime. And our little soundtrack was composed by Kyle Hendry.